Hello, this is the audio version of the Better Strangers Book Recs uh, for the book Traffic, um, which is the subtitle is Genius, Rivalry, and Delusion in the Billion Dollar Race to Go Viral. It is by Ben Smith. It is written in red by me, Matt Hirschberger. Just a reminder, if you are listening to this in August, you could listen to it a month earlier if you become a paid subscriber um, on my Substack. That's betterstrangers.substack.com. Anyway. I spent the bulk of the 2010s working as a content creator online for a travel publication. It was meant to be my dream job. I'd fantasized about being a jet-setting journalist since I was a teenager. But after the 500th time I told someone what I did, and they said, that must be so cool, I finally realized that 90% of what I did was writing horseshit listicles in a desperate bid for the only metric that mattered in the world, internet traffic. Ben Smith was the, fa- was the editor-in-chief for BuzzFeed's news division in those heady years, and his recent book, Traffic, Genius, Rivalry, and Delusion in the Billion Dollar Race to Go Viral, is an insider's look into how just a few rich white men managed to totally fuck up the internet, journalism, and global democracy in little more than a decade. Smith's account doesn't present the story this cynically. He clearly has at least some admiration for the two main characters, Gawker Media founder Nick Denton and HuffPo and BuzzFeed founder Jonah Peretti. But from the perspective of someone who has lived in this world, and who has to deal with the consequences of that atrocious decade, the story he tells is horrifying. The Two Founders Denton's empire was a cynical and combative one. It was the early success, it was the early success of the two businesses, sprawling out from the original site's success into a media network that included websites like Jezebel, Lifehacker, Gizmodo, and Deadspin. Denton had a tabloid journalist's belief that nothing in the lives of the rich and powerful was off-limit, including publishing their private nude photos and videos, as well as their revenge porn. This ethos made the Gawker empire extremely popular, but it also made it powerful enemies. When it outed billionaire venture capitalist and openly fascist ghoul Peter Thiel as gay, Thiel vowed revenge. He gave an extravagant bankroll and a high-powered legal team to Hulk Hogan, who managed to sue Gawker Media out of existence for invasion of privacy when it published a sex tape of him cheating on his wife. Where Denton was a classic H.L. Mencken-style journalist and cynic, Jonah Peretti was more of a Silicon Valley beast. Peretti got his first taste of virality in the early 2000s when he attempted to personalize his Nike sneakers by having them print Sweatshop where his name should go. Nike refused, and Peretti forwarded their email exchange to his friends, and it blew up from there. Peretti continued putting viral stunts, for, uh, pulling viral stunts for the next several years, but remained an outsider in the New York blog world. At Gawker's lavish parties, reporters noted the pre- presence of his comedian sister, Chelsea Peretti, but failed to mention him. Until he was brought on by Ariana Huffington to help found her website, The Huffington Post, which was designed to be a liberal alternative to the Drudge Report. Huffington was hopeless at the viral business. She had a lot of famous friends, and she gave column space to people like Larry David, John Cusack, and George Clooney. But shockingly, the Hollywood elite did not produce enthralling political writing, and the project stagnated until Peretti and his team realized they could drive traffic by manipulating Google's search engines, figuring out, for example, that at least some people who wanted to know about Heath Ledger would mistakenly search for Keith Ledger and tagging articles about the celebrity as such. And by producing sleazy tabloid articles featuring celebrity side boob, which would stay off of the front page of the HuffPo, but would drive most of the traffic. As time went on, Peretti's focus shifted to his new company, BuzzFeed, which was designed purely to drive traffic and which would define the early 2010s internet. The Demise of Democracy 
The most enlightening part of this book is just how clueless the people on the inside were about what they were doing to American democracy and to journalism in general. I had a somewhat backseat to all of this. In 2010, I worked at an SEO farm where my job was literally just to write bullshit based on popular Google search terms. You have every right to hate me for polluting the internet with this shit. It was an early form of SEO spam that was driven out of existence when they tweaked their algorithm, and it also happened to be the only job I could get during the recession. Later, I worked for a more legitimate website that was nominally a travel website, but in reality tried to copy the model of sites like BuzzFeed and Upworthy to drive traffic and get ad dollars. We were told that we could write more substantive, meaningful work with the rest of our time, but clickbait ended up cannibalizing the majority of what we did, and our traffic was largely dependent on what Facebook's algorithm was up to that specific morning. It was clear to us at the time that our work was full-blown garbage and that what we were creating was not particularly useful or meaningful to anyone. Jonah Peretti never seems to have quite understood this. There was something valuable, he figured, in capturing that much attention, but he seems to have had no real driving ethos outside the metric of traffic, which is what he measured BuzzFeed's success by. It was this ethos that led Smith, in the days after Trump's election, to publish the spurious Steele dossier, which claimed the existence of a golden shower video that Putin's government was using to blackmail Trump. This claim, while never proven, was gobbled up by liberals who were grieving their loss and became a red herring for the next several years. In searching for the tape of hookers peeing on the president, these same liberals utterly ignored Trump's other totally provable conflicts of interest when he refused to divest himself he, that he refused to divest, divest himself of when he became president. Smith defends this act under a sort of half-baked open information argument, but also acknowledges that the driving reason for publishing the memo that the other outlets had passed on, because they had failed to verify it, was because it would, for once, give his BuzzFeed news page the type of clicks the site usually only got, usually only got by publishing kitten photos, quizzes, or confusing pictures of a dress which some saw as white and gold and others saw as blue and black. At the edges of Smith's story about the chase for the clicks is something more sinister. When Peretti was hired to Huffington Post, he was hired with another early internet guru, Andrew Breitbart, who didn't last long at HuffPo and instead went on to create a far-right Drudge Report ripoff that would then spread misinformation about Barack Obama. When Breitbart died, his job was taken over by Steve Bannon, because apparently that outlet only hired editors that resembled waterlogged corpses. Bannon closely studied the work of BuzzFeed and understood the potential of such an attention capture machine that was built by BuzzFeed and by Facebook. Now, Smith and Peretti were clueless about this right-wing resurgence while it was happening under their nose. Peretti, who was chummy with Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook's developers, was liberal in his politics, but effectively viewed conservatism as just another identity, like being Italian or from New Jersey, something that could easily be mined for clicks and shares. Smith seems incredulous when one of his former hires, who he'd had to fire for plagiarism, was invited to Trump's White House, crowing that the internet is ours, and he's even further flabbergasted to watch one of his former BuzzFeed colleagues enthusiastically live-streaming the January 6th Capitol Hill attack. It should not have been a surprise. At some point in the early 2010s, Facebook realized that there was a problem with the way that their algorithm treated virality. If something received a lot of likes, it meant that people were likely clicking on a link a lot. If you click on a link, it is taking you away from Facebook's website. That is bad for their core business, so instead they began favoring engagement over likes. This meant that anything that was controversial was more likely to blow up on the platform, because controversial content gets more comments. This inherently favors conservative politics, because racism, misogyny, classism, homophobia, and religious discrimination are all baked into that particular cake, and what a horrific cake it is. 
Bannon understood this immediately, and he let this metric, engagement, basically choose which candidate Breitbart backed in the Breitbart publication, backed in the Republican presidential race. He picked Trump not because he believed in him the most, but because he was the candidate that Facebook was basically designed to be a megaphone for. Similarly outrageous right-wing candidates across the world, from Narendra Modi in India to Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, have been propelled to power by the same metric that keeps Facebook afloat. Bannon asked, asked a perplexed Smith after Trump's election why BuzzFeed didn't do the same with the most engaging Democratic candidate, Bernie Sanders. Juking the stats. While I can't say I particularly liked any of the heroes or even the writer of this book, I think it's an important read for understanding our current moment on the internet and in American democracy. For one thing, if we want a progressive future and if we are stuck with the current internet, we need to stop looking for the least offensive candidates. Focus-grouped politicians are just not going to hack it on an internet that prefers engagement and sensationalism. We're more likely to win with unapologetic firebrands. For another, we need to stop treating numbers as more important than content. Modern outlets have diminishing returns chasing traffic, and as a result have laid off countless of people in the media industry. Why would this happen? Well, because Facebook was so fixated on keeping you on their site that they turned their platform into a hellscape of screaming boomer uncles. Because they couldn't handle you clicking away to other sites, they single-handedly ended the age of democracy. This is the problem with being led by metrics rather than ideals. Metrics can fail, and they can also be exploited. The classic TV show The Wire is basically just five seasons explaining how public policy gets totally fucked because institutions, quote, juke the stacks of their metrics their government decides are the most important. So rather than, for example, solving murders, the cops try to get the murders assigned to other jurisdictions. Rather than creating legitimate, pro- legitimate drug programs, the justice system prioritizes, prioritizes drug arrests by going after lower-level offenders. From any human standpoint, this is degrading backwards-ass policy, from a nu- but from a numerical standpoint, it is a success. Likewise, in the media, pursuing the traffic metric means scooping other, other outlets by publishing a fraudulent document like the Steele dossier, because doing so will get you traffic. The claim that this is in service of open information and letting the American people decide sounds nice. One could make a pretty penny applying that same argument to the publication of, I don't know, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Finally, if we want to build an internet that works better for us, we need to focus on building smaller communities. This is less profitable, but we've learned that the owners of mega corporations that control the internet have absolutely zero regard for how they are fucking up our world. They will tank a website that has been a repository for crowdsourced journalism for a decade and a half out of sheer vanity. Perhaps the way for us to build something that works for us is to build something that is unappealing to them. We can build something that just doesn't scale and just doesn't bring in the traffic.